Welcome again to Cornerstone this morning. It's great to be here. I wasn't here last week. I want to say thanks to, to Mal. Mal, are you here? Mal. Great word, bro. Thank you. So good. Uh, last week I had the, I had the privilege of, of um, spending the weekend fishing. I went fishing. I participated in the corroboree challenge and uh, I I'm, I'm went to the presentation night last night and I won Biggest Saratoga. Um, and I got a whole heap of stuff which was just an amazing blessing and I wasn't expecting it and it was a very cool weekend. So I'm, I'm a bit excited this morning about that. Um, but we are here. Isn't, isn't God good? Um, this morning we are gonna, we're going to talk about the presence of God. That's, that's our our theme for this morning, and, and I just love gathering here as a church family and gathering together through the week uh, in different settings in our small groups and just as we, as, even as, as families, when we sit down around the table for dinner and we, and we pray to God and, and just the opportunity to grow in relationship with each other and to grow in relationship with God. And it is just a, an awesome blessing to be able to come together like this on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Just to, just to worship and, and to, to be together in God's presence. And um, I'm just, you know, again reminded this week of, of there are places in the world where doing this, like this, in public is not possible and there are those that are, that are under persecution for gathering together in Jesus' name. And um, I just want to, oh, let's just pray before I start this morning. I want to I pray for the, the church of the world and just pray uh, about this message this morning. Lord God, I just thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that your word says we're, we're two or three are gathered in your name, that you are here. And God, we just really want to pray um, for, for the persecuted church this morning, Lord. I just really want to bring them to you. God, I just thank you for their faith in you, for their willingness to still gather together and to worship and to, to be in your presence together, despite persecution, despite the risk of being imprisoned or, or being executed because of what they believe. God, I just pray that you would pour out their blessing on those people today. And God, I just pray that you would guide my words this morning, that, that they would be your words and not mine. God, I pray that you would, you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to, to receive what it is that you want to give to us this morning. God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same as we came in, that you would change us, that you would you would mould us, that you would continue to work on our lives so that we can be the people that you are calling us to be. I just thank you that you are here, God, and we, we are free to come and we are free to worship you. Amen. And so today we're going to look at the presence of God. And so if you have your Bibles... I want you to get them out and I want you to turn to Exodus 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually some out in the foyer area. Um, please feel free to grab one of those and if you don't have one at home, then you, they're yours to keep. So, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to start this morning in Exodus. Uh, Exodus 25 is, is, is where we're going to begin from and, and we're going to, I'm going to sort of pull verses here and there and, and summarise a little bit this morning because there's a lot of this story um, and it goes into a lot of detail, and I want to encourage you to take some time and read through this story in your own time. But, so, so here we are. So let me just set the scene for you. We're, we're in Exodus 25, so that's near the front of the, of the Bible. It's actually the second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. 
And here we are in Exodus and we find the Israelites, God's, God's chosen nation, and they're, they're in the desert, they're escaping from, from slavery in Egypt and they're being led by God's chosen leader in Moses. And God has given Moses the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, as well as a whole heap of rules and regulations for the community of Israel to follow. And, and God gave that to Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai. And then God gives him all of these instructions, which is what we're going to look at this morning. He gives Moses instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant, which was a, a box or a, a chest in which to put the stone tablets with the rules and, and some other stuff goes in there as well. And, and God then gives instructions for, for the tabernacle, which was this special tent to, to house the Ark while they were on this journey through to the Promised Land from Egypt into the Promised Land. And tabernacle roughly translates from Hebrew as dwelling place. And so the tabernacle, this dwelling place, had three main areas. It had an outer courtyard and an area within it called the holy place and then divided off from that was, uh, with a curtain was an area called the holy of holies or most holy place. And so this is, this is sort of where we're at the moment and we're going to look through um, these instructions that, that God gave to Moses as part of establishing this Ark of Covenant and the tabernacle. So, Exodus 25, 10. Have the people make an Ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide and 27 inches high. So, for us people with real measurements, um, that's 1.1 metres long and 70 centimetres high and wide. So, that's... What's that? That's about a metre? About 70 centimetres? It's a box... And so it goes on to describe a whole heap of things about how it's supposed to be built. And then in verse 16, it says, When the ark is finished, place, it inside, uh, place inside it the stone tablets. And so then Exodus 25 goes on to describe um, the cover for the ark, the cover for the chest, which is, which is called the place of atonement. And then it moves on to plans for a table that is to go into the holy place. And on that table, we read in verse 30 that it's to, to hold the bread of the presence. And it says, place the bread of the presence on the table to remain before me at all times. And then it goes on to describe a golden lampstand. In verse 31, make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. And it describes what that's to look like. And then in chapter 26, we see all the detailed plans of, of the actual tabernacle, of the, the actual tent. Um, and it was a tent that was made from, from curtains of, of finely woven linen and covered with, with uh, goat hair cloth. Sounds good, doesn't it? So, chapter 26, 31. For, for the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen and de decorate it with blue, purple and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. And then verse 33, hang the inner curtain from class and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. And then put the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. Place the table outside the inner curtain on the south side and the lampstand across the room on the north side. 
And so then over the next few chapters, it continues on with instructions for, for an altar for, for, burning, for burnt offerings, which sits in the, the outer courtyard, and instructions on, on how that courtyard should be set up, and there's a, there's a basin there for, for washing. And then it goes on for instructions of, of the clothing for the priests and what they should wear and the sacrifices they should make and when. And again, I want to encourage you to take some time to read through this story in your own time. And then through this process, Moses' brother Aaron is, is identified by God as the great high priest and his sons as the priests, who were the only ones out of the entire nation of Israel who were allowed to enter into the tabernacle. And so we've got a picture here of, of this, is, this is a map, if you like, of what it might have looked like. So we have the, the entrance on the end there, and then we've got the altar for the sacrifice. And we've got a wash basin, which was used by the priests to, to wash their hands and their feet before they entered into the holy place. And then we've got the lampstand and the, and the bread, and there's another little altar there, which is for, for incense that's to be burnt, and then there's the veil, the curtain that separates the holy place and the holy of holies, or the most holy place which contained the Ark of the Covenant. And so once all of this was done, once they'd, once they'd put everything in place and, and Moses had gone through and he'd put everything exactly where God had instructed him to, we read in chapter 40, verse 34. So once everything was done, then, then the cloud, which was the presence of God, covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey and follow it. And so we see here that when the presence of God descended on the tabernacle, Moses could no longer enter because he hadn't been set apart like the priests. Despite the fact that he'd been up on the mountain with God and despite the fact that he was God's chosen leader of the nation of Israel, he wasn't allowed to enter. The priests, on the other hand, they were set apart. They were sanctified and dedicated to God to perform the different things that they had to do, the daily tasks of keeping the lampstand lit at all times and daily changing the bread of the presence as required by God in his instructions. And then the, the Holy of Holies or the most holy place was only allowed to be entered once per year. Once per year by the high priest only, by Aaron, Moses' brother. And it was his role to perform a blood sacrifice in the outer courtyard and then he had to take blood from that sacrifice and sprinkle it onto the Ark of the Covenant and the place of atonement for the forgiveness of sins for himself and for the entire nation of Israel for all of the sins that they had committed in the past year. And so here we have the tabernacle, a place for the presence of God to reside as he accompanied the Israelites on their journey to the promised land. And if we continue on in the Old Testament, we read about um, King David who, who wanted to build a temple, to, to build a permanent structure that contained the, um, the tabernacle-type structure within it. But God had other plans and, and he tells him that his son Solomon would be the one to do that. And that's what happens and you can read about that in 1 Kings 5 to 8. And again, 
take time to read through this story. I want to encourage you to do that. And so when Solomon had finished building this temple and everything was in place, once again the presence of God fell, just as it had on the tabernacle. And in 1 Kings 8, 11, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. I love that verse. The presence of God fell and they couldn't continue to do the things that God had instructed them to do because his presence was just so overwhelming. Now this, of course, is all said in the Old Testament. You know, which is a time when, when people were ruled by laws and regulations handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai, as we talked about before. And, and it's known as the Old Covenant. The Israelites agreed to all of the things that God had put in place. And that was a covenant agreement. But this morning we are here and we are living under a new covenant. Amen. And so how does that apply? How does that apply to us? Does it apply to us? And so before I answer that, let me just share with you a few things. As I, was, as I was preparing this message and as I prepare my messages, I like, to, I like to take time to investigate the origin of the words that are in the Scripture that we're reading. Look at the origin of the, the Hebrew and the Greek words that it's translated from to get a better understanding of what's being said. And, and as I was researching, I stumbled across a few things that I found interesting that I might like to share with you this morning. And you might not already know this, and so I, I ask that you just forgive me for that, but... It was new to me. So firstly, the word Bible. You know, it's, a word, it's a word that we hear a lot, especially in settings like this on a Sunday morning. But the word Bible simply translates as book. And so there's lots of books in the world. You can go to a library and you can borrow a book and you would be right to refer to it as a Bible. Now, what about the word holy? Holy translates as set apart or sanctified. When something is holy, it means it is different from anything else. And so we have the Holy Bible. If you take your Bible out, and I meant to have mine here this morning, and I left it on my bedside table, but it says, it doesn't just say Bible, it says Holy Bible. We have a book that is sanctified, that is different from anything else. My mind is blown. And then this morning we were talking about the tabernacle. Has, um, if you were listening, I've already told you what tabernacle means. Anyone? Dwelling place. Very good. And so, we have read this morning about the, how the presence of God fell on the tabernacle and on the temple when they were completed. And so, what about presence? What does presence mean? Presence translates as face, or specifically the area around your eyes. And so, the tabernacle and the temple held the dwelling place of God's face. And so I come back again to the question, how does this Old Testament stuff actually relate to us? So let's bring up the picture again, if we've got it there, very good. Okay, so we have the outer courtyard, 
which has the altar for sacrifice and the wash basin. And then we have the holy place, which, which contains the golden lampstand, which was to provide light in the darkness inside the tent. And we have the bread of the presence, which was replaced daily and is always present. And it symbolises God sustaining them, the Israelites. And then we have the curtain, which separates the holy place and the most holy place that place that could only be entered into once a year by the high priest for the purposes of spreading a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the Israelite nation. But that doesn't answer the question of how that relates to us, does it? So let's move now from the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to the New Testament and the New Covenant. And let's look at some verses in the New Testament with this picture of the tabernacle in mind. John eight twelve, Jesus said... I am the light of the world. Jesus is the golden lampstand, bringing light into the darkness, bringing light into the world. John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of the presence. He is always there. He is sustaining and ever-present. Hebrews 9, 11. So Christ, that is Jesus, has now become the high priest. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. And with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time and secured redemption forever. Jesus is the great high priest and Jesus is the blood sacrifice. Amen. Matthew twenty-seven fifty to 51, the death of Jesus. Jesus shouted again as he hung on the cross and released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus split the curtain in the temple, the, temp- the curtain that had divided the temple and restricted access to the- only to the high priest. At Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it was split in two, opening the way for anyone to enter into the presence of God removing the barrier that kept us and our sinful nature away from being in the presence of God. Now, interestingly, again, as I was, as I was preparing for this, I, I discovered that particularly in the, in the temple, that curtain, that veil, was 18 metres high. Just to put that in perspective, the ceiling here is 8 metres That's a big curtain. And it was split from top to bottom. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice and his role in coming to earth and now in heaven is to replace the role of all of the things that the tabernacle represented. To be the light, to be the bread, to be the sacrifice, to be the great high priest to remove the curtain, to remove the barrier that restricted our access to God and redeem everyone for all time through his single and perfect sacrifice on the cross. We are redeemed 
we are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And even better yet is that we have access and the ability to enter into the very presence of God. And remember what presence translates to again? It translates as the face of God to the very eyes of God, to see God's eyes, to see his face. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can come into the face of God because that curtain is no longer there. There is no longer a barrier. It is torn in two. And we can enter without fear or worry. Why? Because we are holy. And what was holy again? It's set apart. It's different from anything else. We can come into the presence, we can come into the face of God because we are holy, because we are set apart by the work of the cross. Maybe we're being reminded of this this morning or perhaps this is a brand new revelation for you and a brand new understanding for you. How do we respond to that? For me, I stand in awe and wonder at the magnitude of what God and what Jesus has done. All I can do in response is worship him. All I can do is adore God and be overwhelmed by the love he has for me. He did all of this for me. He did all of this for you. A perfect plan that was put into action right from the very beginning. Can you see how it all links together? It was no mistake of what God was doing. All for the purposes so that we can all be in relationship with him. When we come together like this on a Sunday morning, when we have our our personal quiet times, when we join together in small groups and we just come and we have this opportunity to be in God's face, to be in his presence without fear, without worry because of Jesus' blood because of his sacrifice, because he is the great high priest. He is our light and he is our bread of life that makes us holy. He has made us set apart. Now, many of you would know that my wife and I have an awesome son. Or actually, we have two awesome sons. Um, (laughs) It's all right. Zeke's out in kids' church, so it's all good. No, but um, the awesome one that I'm referring to is, is Toby Tobias, who is now two and a half years old, and when he was born, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome, and and he's had a fairly uh, rough start to life. He's had multiple surgeries. He spent the first three months of his life uh, in hospital, and uh, anyway, so he's he's doing good, praise God. Um, But as a result, he has many appointments with therapists and, and medical professions, and at the moment, Alison, my wife, and, and I are currently working through a, a course with a, with a speech person. <laughs> Whatever, I can't remember the word, but that's okay. Doesn't matter. A speech person sounds good. <laughs> anyway, and we're working through this course on how to communicate with him, because he's not talking yet. Yet. Come on. He's not talking yet, but we're learning how to communicate with him. And I have found it incredibly challenging and amazing to realise that Toby actually communicates a lot. 
more than I thought he did once I switched on to how he actually communicates. And so I'm going to give you a crash course in how to communicate with a young person who doesn't verbalise. And so firstly, owl. We got that one there on the screen? Owl. Observe, wait and listen. I have to observe and watch and I have to wait for Toby to respond or to do something and I have to actually listen. If I'm in this place of constantly talking to him or trying to get him to do what I want him to do, he doesn't get the opportunity to communicate to me. And then the other key thing that I want to share with you this morning is eye contact. When I'm communicating with Toby, to be more effective, I need to be on his level and I need to be ready to make eye contact so that when he turns towards me, our eyes lock and he knows that I'm there and that he can communicate to me. And this is just... God's timing, I'm sure, because all of these things can be perfectly linked to how we should be communicating with God. We come into the presence, we come into the face, and we have eye contact. Firstly, how amazing is that? That we can come into the presence of God and see His face. Have that eye contact. But then in addition to that, we need to owl. We need to observe. We need to wait. And we need to listen. For God to communicate. Now, I find that a little bit scary, if I'm completely honest, because this is God we're talking about. This is the one who spoke words and all that we see around us is here, just by speaking words. What is the implications of coming face to face with that? That Hebrews 10:19 says, "We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus." By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. We have that opportunity to come to God, to be in his presence, to be in his face. You know, when we come to church, when we have our own personal study time or whether we gather together at other times, we have this, this opportunity to come into God's face. Do you understand and recognise the enormity of what we are doing here this morning? When you come this morning, are you sitting there just going through the motions of this is what we do on a Sunday. We come to church and we sit and we sing songs and we share in communion and we have a message and then we go and have fellowship and then we go home. Is you just going through the motions. We're actually realising what we are doing here. We are in the presence. We are in the face of God. He is here. Are you not overwhelmed? I know that I am. Does that impact your attitude as we gather together as a body of believers? 
I know that it certainly impacts and challenges me for some of the ways that I enter into this place and when I come to God with my quiet time and I read a short passage and then I fire off a prayer and I'm off and I'm gone. We are able to enter into, the, into heaven's most holy place right now because of the blood of Jesus because he is the light, because he is the bread of life that sustains us. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. And because all of those things, we are then holy. We are set apart. We are different from anything else. No longer does God's presence remain just in that holy place, though. Acts 7, 48 to 50 says, The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As God says through the prophet in Isaiah 66, he says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? God's presence is with us at all times. It's not just here, it's... It's with us all the time. And when we gather, God is there. Matthew 18, 20 says, or Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. When we gather together, when we are here on Sunday or in our small groups or in our families as we gather around the dinner table or wherever we gather together as believers, God is with us and he is dwelling in us and among us. Amen. God is with us. With that knowledge, with that understanding, how do you respond? God has a plan, just like the plan with the tabernacle through creation and Jesus coming to replace that. God has a plan for each one of us, a plan that has been in place since the beginning of time. And it's made evident again by what we've looked at this morning. We are designed for His purpose, we are designed in His image. We are made to spend eternity in heaven and in relationship with him. God has written it in all of us. It's in our being to have this desire for eternal things. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God. Cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God has made everything beautiful. There's a promise right there. You are beautiful. And he has a desire for us to be with him for all eternity and he has placed this eternal desire in our heart. It's an eternal desire for us to be with him as he has planned. But I love the fact that it says we can't see the entirety of his plan. That's not what it's all about. His desire for us is to be face to face with him, for us to be in his presence. And that's why when we don't know him, or we lose that sight, we try and fill that eternal desire with money and possession and career and relationship and achievement and other things that we have, and we spend hours and weeks and years and lifetimes chasing after something that has eternal consequence. 
that fills that eternal desire that is in our hearts. And we chase after it, but we never find satisfaction in that. The only thing we'll find is exhaustion. But God is faithful. And he remains. And he is waiting with his arms wide open. And he's beckoning us to come to him and meet him face to face. To take the time to come to make eye contact, to observe, to wait, and to listen. He's waiting for us to come and to accept Jesus as our great high priest, to be covered by the sacrifice of the cross, by the blood on the sacrifice of the cross. And to recognise that through that sacrifice that we are holy, that we are set apart and that we can enter the most holy place and we can seek God's face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for who you are again this morning. I thank you that You are so much greater than anything else that we could ever imagine. And I thank you that you have a plan for us. A plan that sees us come into relationship with you and be face to face with you. God, I just pray that you would help us to be in that space. That we would be in that place of being able to come and and seek your face. That we would observe you that we would wait on you, that we would listen for your voice, that we would be seeking that eye contact when, whenever we have the opportunity, God. And God, I just really want to pray for the people here this morning that might not know you. I pray that you would challenge their hearts, Lord. Show them that you are the way. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Bible. I thank you for that book that is set apart, that is sanctified. Help us to be in your word, Lord. Help us to to recognize the enormity of what we do when we come together, whether it's here or whether it's in our small groups or whether it's at home or in our quiet times, Lord, as we seek your face.